And we're back for Rogue Table Talks uh, here at the end of the best year ever. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> as, the, as 2020 mercifully draws to a close, uh, you know, I say that there's, you know, there's a week left. A lot, of, a lot can happen <laughs> given, given what kind of week year it's been. Um, yes, yes, here we are. Uh, uh, don't back uh, don't at uncross your fingers yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, don't sleep on the last gasp of 2020. Um, but, you know, things appear to be looking up. Um, you know, vaccine is being distributed. Uh, so, um, yeah, my wife's a healthcare worker. She's been vaccinated. Um, she has not uh, displayed any uh, stranger than usual tendencies, although um, she suddenly bought Microsoft stock and changed all our search engines to Bing and, uh, and, you know, has hung a picture of Bill Gates, uh, above our bedroom, <laughs> our bed. Other than that. <laughs> uh, that's good. People are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, appears to be good for uh, no apparent microchip, uh, activity in the vaccine. Um, so that's all good. Uh, Bill Gates probably dis- disappointed. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, my apologies if you think there's a microchip for Bill Gates and the vaccine, um, because I. What? <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So things are, you know, things. There's some hope for some return to some sort of new normalcy. I don't think it'll be the same normalcy, but some sort of new normalcy in 2021, and uh, we can be hopeful. Uh, for whatever, whatever God brings uh, to us, and uh, as for now, we're still here. We're still rogue table talking uh, here. That's right. In the twilight of uh, of twenty twenty. Hey, did you see the Christmas star in the sky? Did you go out and see the did the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn? Did yeah, um, yeah. When we were going to look through a telescope, but it, uh, <laughs> it get this. It was a we have a neighbor. And the uncle lives with the family and he bought the telescope for the nephew as a Christmas present and went ahead and unboxed it and tried to put it together <laughs> the other day to see the Christmas star. And I don't know if the nephew was even there. <laughs> wow. So it seems sort of to be an anti-Christmas thing. Yes. I mean, obviously do. it didn't work out. He couldn't get the telescope together. Right. So we just looked at the the star with our naked eyes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure you need the telescope. That's no. kind of the whole, point. yeah. <laughs> and the whole point, the wise men supposedly, uh, you know, they obviously didn't have a telescope. Um, also probably not, you know, they probably had a pretty clear view of the stars, uh, light pollution wise and so on. Uh, electricity not being a thing yet. Um, at least not a thing that we'd harnessed. It was a thing. God had invented it. But anyway, <laughs> Just so we're going to look at, and uh, you know, we'll, um, you know, we'll remind everyone when we sign off, this may be the last one of the year um, next year. So the next week's a bit up in the air. You're going to be traveling. I don't know what I'll be doing. Um, so uh, we'll see what we see there, but we're going to close the year talking about uh, a passage 
from Mark familiar passage, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, it's in uh, all of the synoptic gospels. Is it also in John? Is it in all the gospels? I don't uh, remember. I don't know that one. I, I don't know if this one is, but it um, may be because it may be where uh, he transitions into eat my flesh and drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it might be one of the few uh, you know, accounts or episodes that's in all the four gospels. Um, so and, and and there's a lot, you know, it's it's pretty pretty pivotal in a number of ways, and there's a lot of things you could say. You could probably do a series of <clears throat> podcasts on it, but um, a particular direction that uh, has my attention or at least my curiosity. Uh, that we'll talk about here for a few minutes. Um, but let's, let me read it first. It's Mark 6, 35 through 44. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Um, so once again, I find myself somewhat sympathetic to the disciples. I know that when, we, when you read the gospel accounts, you, you know, the disciples are clueless. They don't get it. They don't understand uh, they haven't quite figured out the implication of who Jesus is and all that means. And um, they still think, you know, they still sort of are clinging to um, incorrect beliefs, you know, about what the Messiah is and what it means for them and so on and so on and so on. And that, you know, that's a theme that comes through over and over again. So it's easy to then, you know, sort of write them, you know, write them off as uh you know, the well-meaning people who are always wrong. I just, it's so, so commonplace to not identify with the disciples. Yeah. Yeah. Like, obviously those people are idiots. Like we know the right answer. So we would never do that. But, you know, even if you just picture this in your mind, they're sitting people down in groups of hundreds and fifties and the number of men, 5,000, which is kind of a way of, I mean, that's obviously a translation to English. Um, you know, yeah, you probably, you know more about the original language than I do, but I think it's basically there's the number of families mm-hmm. uh, it would be another way of saying it, right? Yeah, the number definitely of Definitely more than 5,000. Yeah. So it's like a basketball, like it's like the, you know, it's like a basketball or a hockey arena amount of people and they're sitting down in, you know, fifties and hundreds and they're, and they have five loaves and two fish. Um, and so you can, I mean, uh, you know, hey, it's, uh, you know, these people, they're going to have to eat something. And, uh, you know, it seems like a reasonable thing that the disciples come to Jesus who's teaching and, you know, hey, maybe he hasn't really thought about this. Uh, Let's just raise the issue of these people are going to need something to eat. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Uh, They followed us out here. 
um, it seems like a problem. It does seem like an actual problem. So maybe, Jesus, you should tell, you know, you should dismiss them and have them go uh, and get food, uh, you know, like they would normally do. But, um, and that isn't, I don't think Jesus' reply indicates that's an unreasonable thing. He's just got something else in mind. You know, it's not crazy to go and buy all the people go and buy their own food. That would be sort of the normal thing. But, you know, and here's the question that intrigues me, um, you know, more than anything in the story, at least right now. He says, but but he answered, you give them something to eat. Uh, And I kind of want to just, you know, roll around with why, why does he, why does he say that? I mean, Mm -hmm. he knows they don't have enough food to feed 15, 20,000 people. I mean, he knows that. Um, What's he up to? Yeah, I don't, I don't exactly know. Uh, Part of me thinks too, like knowing what we know of the human condition, is this the disciples way of saying they're hungry? Maybe. (laughs) Hey, you know, um, it's getting late. You should send them away. They need to go eat. And they're thinking, (laughs) we're going to eat. It's going to be rude to sit here and eat in front of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) These people got up. It's, you know, it's like the guy who's got guests that won't leave and he comes, goes upstairs and comes down in his pajamas. It's kind of a way of <laughs> Exactly. Let me, uh, I'm going to let you guys go so you can go to bed. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think, so, uh, yeah. but, but sure. then the, 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 the retort of like, I, I don't know, you give them something to eat. I wonder if it's, uh, if he's trying to get them to question what they're saying, if he's, if it's a, you know, somewhat of a test of faith, if it's, if he's wanting to tease out how they're going to assess the situation. Mm-hmm. So, right. yeah, it, it, it's, it's not explained. And so we're sort of left to, you know, he's, he's, he, he's about to do this sort of central miracle of his ministry uh, well, I wonder if even if in a larger, you'd probably have to argue this in a systematic way, but in a larger context, it's a bit of a foreshadowing uh, that they probably didn't understand. It was lost on them at the time of, you know, when he says, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of, of men. When in the future, you will be feeding these people spiritually. Mm. You will be the ones to take over and do some feeding. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, and if you take that idea, uh, I like that, go a little further, then the, the manner by which you will feed them is similar to this, in which you will not really be the source of the sustenance. You know, the, the, the feeding comes from the power of Jesus in that situation, the miracle, the miraculous, you know, heavenly um, power of Jesus. It's nothing that the disciples really are doing other than just doing what they just do what Jesus says and Jesus does something supernatural in the midst. So I do like that as as one application that, you know, we are involved in supernatural things all the time or should be just by doing what Jesus says. And then he inhabits his spirit inhabits and spiritual transformation, things like that, uh, that the things that we should be about are things he's accomplishing and us just doing in just doing what we, you know, what he tells us to do. Um, 
so I think that's part of it. I do think, um, I don't know if you've ever, there's a, the, the reply of the disciples is um, once again, pretty true. Like mm-hmm. there's so many people here. It would take, you know, probably more money than we have uh, or all of our money to go and spend it on one meal for this many people. Is that really what you want us to do? I mean, let's kind of like, they have, you know, you give them something to eat. They're saying pretty reasonably, I don't think we can. Uh, And I think there's something like that's the next element here. Like, I think there's something there for us that, you know, I think that Christ asks us, uh, in the practice and the living of our lives or should to do things, to be a part of things that are beyond our reasonable ability to do. Uh, and that's maybe one of the things he's, he's illustrating here that that's right. You can't, you know, he doesn't say, I mean, he could send them into the villages and, you know, miraculously multiply their money or whatever. He doesn't do that. Um, uh, you know, he does, you know, what do you have here? And, and sort of, and multiplies that, but he doesn't, um, he doesn't give them a better answer. He doesn't then, he doesn't refute their, you know, you can't too go in there and buy, you know, it, you know, it won't yeah, be that's bad. what I was going to, that's what was, I was noticing as well is he doesn't engage on that level of, we don't have enough money. Well, you do, you just don't want to spend it or no, you don't, it, you know, he doesn't go there. He, he's trying to lift them up and maybe, and maybe, uh, I don't know if this is what you were saying is ask them to do something beyond their limits and hold them to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's what strikes me about, you know, in this reading of, of the story uh, this time through um, I recently watched a, uh, it's like a documentary called free Burma Rangers, which is a, it's about a very unique Christian group led by this guy and his wife and three kids who were sort of called into conflict areas just to help. You know, he's a former ranger, army ranger. Hmm. And, you know, so it's, um, you know, basically, you know, going into civil war, uh, Burma, Myanmar, uh, you know, which has had like the longest, you know, civil war in you know, history or something like that. And basically helping these refugees, uh, treating wounds, documenting atrocities. Uh, and, you know, there's sometimes they're armed so that they can, you know, protect people as they retreat and so on. Um, and so it's very sort of, you know, not, it's not, it's not anybody's plan. And he didn't, the, the, the point that I, I make about this is that, you know, this and it comes up many times in this, he didn't, he doesn't really have a plan. He's mm-hmm. like, um, I, I believe God called me to go. I believe God called us to go. Here we are. Uh, how, you know, and he'll, he would just show up and, you know, how can I help? What, you know, what do you need? Um, and, you know, there's all these then miraculous things that followed uh, where I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a pattern for us in terms of, you know, that, you know, we should all be, 
getting military training to go help people in con- conflict zones. But just the idea that God's asking me to do something. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm pretty sure he is asking me to do it. So I'm going to start doing it yep. and we'll see. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I do think there's, um, there's something to that that should be a part of our Christian experience, I think, and that we often are just like the disciples where we, we do what's possible, what we can see in front of us and what's possible. If we do anything at all, you know, we do what's yeah. possible. And of course, we do, what, we do what's uh, possible or we limit the present possibilities because we don't see the future working out how we think it should work out. Right. Right. We don't yeah. have enough money to do that. Therefore we can't do it. Like all of a sudden here's our conclusion. Boom. Right. It's over. Yep. Um, yeah. And it, it's very reasonable. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, that can't be what he's asking me because that's impossible is sort of a normal way to think. Right. Right. I, uh, I, I came across this quote. I was looking up stuff by Thomas Merton, um, um, contemplative uh, monk. Uh, I think he wrote more in the 60s and 70s. But anyways, he, uh, it fits exactly kind of what we're talking about. And, you know, even how like Enneagram conversation of like there's different time-oriented people. People think in the future. People live in the present. People live and think in the past. Uh, and it's not you know, black and white, we all think probably all three, but there's predominant ways of thinking. But I think sometimes if you think too far in the future and you have a uh, kind of a sense of certainty of how it's going to work out, you do limit what you're going to see and hear and do in the present. And he, he says this, I thought it was really timely. He says, you do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That seems, that seems to say, um, yeah, what we're trying to say here pretty well. Um, and I don't, I think we, not only don't we do that, um, but it's, you know, we don't feel guilty not to, I mean, it just seems so normal not to do that, that it seems irresponsible to proceed when we don't have an idea of how this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you should do this, you know, 24, seven, three, six, five, but, uh, I also don't think we should never do it. I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if, right. I mean, yep. uh, it, it, this year is a decent example of, you know, when nobody knew how this year was going to turn out and in some sense, our, uh, you know, our sort of planned views, safe views of the future were broken up and we were made to proceed maybe a little more in faith. Um, and I think that's, there's something that's good about that. Um, it, there's something about being uncomfortable in that that's good, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and necessary, uh, I'm on, I'm on a, the board of this uh, um, effort in St. Louis called the Collective Thread, which is uh, it empowers women, typically immigrant women, gives them a skill. Uh, they're in, you know, it's a, it's a, a small back batch manufacturing, sewing, the training in sewing. Um, and it's, it's not, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no uh, reserve, <laughs> you know, they're, 
where, you know, we don't have a lot of money. Um, and yet this year has been one sort of opportunity after another where we kind of had to say, I think this is where the, the, where we need to go, where if we're going to have this ministry that we think God wants us to have, we have to move in this direction. We have no idea how we're going to do this. Uh, no idea, you know, where the money's going to come from or no idea. Um, and it, it's kind of been one thing after another of, oh, that, that worked out. Huh. You know, huh, that worked out again. Yeah. And I think there's something about that that we insulate ourselves from too much. Uh, you know, we take failure off the table. We're very careful and very planned. And I'm all for careful and planned uh, and sort of knowing a path. But I feel like we want to eliminate any possibility of uh, failure mm-hmm. and in doing so, we don't, we can't live out what Thomas Merton says. We can't really have faith and hope uh, in some sort of divine movement because we've got it all figured out ourselves. Well, if you, you know, take this story and put it in somewhat of our context, we, we would probably as Americans um, for most of us, we would say, okay, well, I, I have it in savings. I have the resources. We can, we can do that. Like we can accomplish that. And that's the reality is like most people do have those reserves. So we're not necessarily challenged daily to live on a faith-based provision, which you and I know you go to Africa, you go to other parts of the world, they are, you know, Mm -hmm. they have to have rain so that they can have greens or carrots or feed the chickens so that they can eat for another week or whatever it might be. And there's a dependency upon God's provision, which I think maybe our, our faith muscles uh, are a little more atrophied than theirs in that regard because we have it in savings or I can go to the grocery store or even I can put it on a credit card and go into a little bit of debt if we have to, because we're not going to live like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It makes me think of, I mean, I knew people who were, you could tell they were sort of joking about it, but they were genuinely worried about running out of toilet paper Mm -hmm. uh, at some point this year. Like, you know, do, I, do you think I have enough? You know, um, I think I, I might have said that I might have told the story before, but somebody we both know, it's like he and his wife and they had like, uh, I don't know, they had like 12 double rolls and they were hoping to make it. I guess, you know, I, it might be two, three weeks before there's toilet <laughs> paper. I'm like, what's going on over there, man? Like, you got to go to the doctor right now. That's <laughs> Exactly. Lots of other issues that are worse than running out of time. And then, you know, if, if, like, like, you know, we've been to places in the world, but nobody's ever, ever had toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, they figure something else out. Um, and I think this sort of like, uh, and I think to draw a more spiritual point, uh, I do think the church is facing a, um, you know, we sort of had plans. Uh, you know, we have our plans, we have our strategic plans, we have money in the bank, we have with this, we have that. And then we're going to have our strategy to execute, you know, the mission of the church, you know, in a sort of known world. And I think that's always been a little bit, um, like we, it's, it's probably not quite as planned as we think. And we, you know, it's not as controlled as we want to believe. 
that the world has been maybe uh, not, you know, it, not the world that we think it's been for a while. And then this year, you know, everything's out the window. We don't know how many people are going to return to attending church in, you know, a year from now, how many people are going to be, you know, what did, uh, you know, how, what's the percentage of people we had in December of 2019 will we have in December of 2021? Nobody knows. Um, nobody knows. Yeah. I, and, and I'm glad you I said nobody. I, Go ahead. Finish that. Thought. I just how does that impact us? And what do we do with that? And then, you know, God's saying you, you reach your community, right? Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I'm glad you said no one knows. So we were talking the other day, probably similar. We're, we're about a similar size to Calvary. We only have one campus, but, um, uh, similar kind of operations around the same, um, budget, yearly budget. And uh, we're talking about the, the, the experts, quote unquote, experts are saying, you know, we're, you might see a 25 percent loss of church attendance. And you're going to see these smaller churches really explode. And you're going to see bigger churches really decline. And I, I would just say this. Who knows? Right. Who knows? And is there something in this passage that says, yeah, but you give them something to eat. OK, well, let's trust God and go forward. That may be true. That may not be true. Who can predict the future? On how they, now you can watch trends and, and all that stuff. But I, here's the thing. I almost feel like let's watch the trends and let's predict the future. It's not a bad thing. Like you said, we're all for careful and cautious and planning. And yet you give them something to eat feels like Jesus counter in the moment. Like yeah. we don't have you. You can look at the trends, but you don't necessarily have to trust the trends. Yeah. You don't have a you plan know. for this. You don't have a plan. And so I want to uh, tell this quick story. You know, we uh, and I'm not saying anything, you know, we're like that Mount Horeb is morally superior to any other church that's struggling or anything like that. I'm not saying any of that. Um, I think Calvary is doing well financially. We're, we're probably similar. We're doing what people have given this year. Um, you know, but they typically take an Advent offering. We typically take an an Advent offering and it goes to some type of missions fund, uh, sex trafficking or Habitat for Humanity or something like that. Well, this year, they uh, the leadership decided to do something different, and it was to give an Advent gift. And so for people that attended on a certain weekend, um, and then throughout that week, they could come pick it up, they decided to give um, $100 per family uh, to to use. If you needed it, if it's been a tough year and you you just need it, then you can use it. But if you want to multiply it or use it and bless someone or some organization in the community, then you can do that. And um, I think it was a, is a bit of an act of faith, especially with you don't know how the 2021 is going to impact you. And so we ended up giving away over $60,000 to uh, individuals and families in this community. We've heard stories like people took it and then they added $10,000 to it and bought food for you know the families in Africa and things like that. And it really challenged me because um, I'm more of a self-preservation. I'm more of a saver. I'm more of a, well, I don't know. I don't know about the plan, but it challenged me and the family to sit around and pray together and say, what are we going to do? Are we going to, we're going to add something to this? We've got a hundred, but let's add, let's add something to this and trust God to provide. And so we called the local school and asked the guidance counselor if there was any families that they knew were just really in need this time of year. And uh, she said, I know exactly who it is and I know that they would use it well. And so we were we we were able to do that. And um, yeah, I think there's something there in this passage. And I don't always again, that's not a I'm not morally superior or faith superior. I really don't 
usually operate out of faith well that much. Um, but it was, it kind of was inspiring to, to live more in, into this passage, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, I do think there's some, again, there is a, it's an interesting, um, balance. I mean, I do, do you want to have a plan? You have to be responsible. Um, you know, if people are giving money to a church, there has got to be a responsible management of it and a plan for how the mission is going to go forward. And, you know, uh, otherwise you're probably wasting a lot of time, effort and energy. Um, but in all of that, we can miss the, you give them something to eat elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even individually, it could extend to, okay, you forgive your father. Mm-hmm but here's all the reasons why I can't. And then you just do what he says and there's a miraculous provision um, or, you know, or something like that. Um, You know, you be, you know, you become uh, a person of peace or hope things that we cannot do. You know, they couldn't feed these people. You give them something to eat with some, he was commanding them to do something they couldn't in their own ability, strength, strategy plans do. And I think there's some essential element of Christianity that we all, we just want to program out uh, where I don't, I mean, I'm anxious. I don't know how to not be anxious. Well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you pray every day. Um, You know, maybe you have, you develop a rhythm where, you know, you, you know, I can't forget, okay, well, maybe you pray for that person regularly. And in the doing what he tells us to do normally, he moves and he does stuff we couldn't do. And that sounds like, oh, that's what it should be. <clears throat> you know, that's what Christianity should be. But I just think we want to manage our lives in such a way that we never, <clears throat> we're never in that position. Well, right? absolutely. And when I hear you, it reminds me of we, we typically do something like this, you know, you should forgive or you should act compassionately, or you're having a hard time loving this person. We typically, we might pray. This is a good step. We might pray, well, God help me have compassion towards this person or help me forgive or help me. That's definitely the starting point. But then I think sometimes this is where we, we go uh, wrong is we wait and we think, mm-hmm. well, I don't feel, I don't feel like loving them. I don't feel very loving towards them. I don't feel compassion. I don't want to forgive. We pray and then we wait. And I, I think it actually works differently. I think you pray and then you act and it's in the mm-hmm. action of the compassion that you actually start to experience compassion. It's in the action of forgiveness that you actually start to experience a forgiving heart. And I think it's the action that, that opens up the heart. And not, I, I just think we wait. I got to wait until I feel powerful to be empowered or confident, or I, I got to feel faith. And that's like, I don't think it works that way. I think you pray and then you trust and you just act. And in this context, at least that we're talking about, God fills you with those things that you've prayed for in your actions. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think we pray and wait to feel a certain way <clears throat> and feeling a certain way means the prayer has been answered. Right. Um, which that's, I'm not saying that never happens, but you know, that's not what's happening here. They have to go through the seemingly futile motions of feeding 15,000 people with a, enough food that one person could hold. Um, 
they have to go through the motions and it is in going through the motions that the, the miracle happens. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes and that's what acting in faith sometimes is like, I don't know how this is going to work or I don't f- feel like I have the ability, you know, we have to move forward. I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, and, you know, I think there's some essential element of our personal faith or some essential element of living out our mission. There's some essential element of Christianity that has to be that. And if we arrange our lives and so in such a way, it's never that we're missing something essential. We're probably not being transformed in that process. We're probably not having the kind of impact that, you know, he's calling us to have, uh, so, I, and I don't, you know, practically speaking, I don't know what that means other than maybe just to ask ourselves, has that ever happened to me? Am I ever, you know, do I ever, you know, at, like I'm on the board of this, this, the collective threat. And sometimes I'm like, oh, should we be, do- I mean, I have no idea. Should we be doing this? And, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to, you know, nobody knows how it's going to work out. It just seems like the direction we're being led in. Um, and when you have no safe road, obviously it's easier. Uh, and I think that's one of the points I'm making about the church, maybe where we, you know, 2020, we don't have a safe road and that's probably good. It's probably a good thing. And, you know, in our own spiritual transfer, we don't have a safe road. Yeah. Uh, We probably shouldn't try to find one. Well, I know we all, you you know, I know for the most part, we all wish this year away and we wish this pandemic away. And I, I understand that. And a large, large part of me does as well, but, and this may be, I'm, I'm a twisted person, but let me know what you think. There's, there's something on the other end. When we go to re- return of sense of normalcy, we're, we're, we're going to lose something in some of this because of the stress and pressure that it, that it pushes on people. And there's something that is causing, you know, we have to, respond in faith and be innovative and creative and um, figure out how to be more human. And if, you know, if, and when this goes back to a sense of normalcy, there's, there's something here that we might miss in a sense of, Oh, you know, I kind of, I kind of miss, I, I felt closer to my family or I felt closer to this, or I, I missed that a little bit. So I don't know. I don't know what point I'm trying to make there. Um, but I think this, disruption, this long disruption, um, um, we can, this can be a, a teacher of this passage, so to speak. Yeah. And it could be just, we're in more need of <clears throat> divine intervention, divine empowerment than we thought we were a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were a year ago and we were right. able to tell ourselves a prettier story and now we can't. And just maybe sort of remember this then later on when we can get back to telling ourselves a pretty story to remember that we really are vulnerable, dependent and reliant. Uh, And, you know, the ways in which we are that is he's going to call us to do things that um, are impossible. You know, you do this and, you know, we are then going to be faced with responding in obedience and faith and hope and going through the motions of, you know, beginning that process in some way or doing something, acting in some way and um, seeing how he inhabits that and seeing how he, he works that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's maybe, you know, closing, closing, 
you know, challenge for 2020 and, you know, an opening thought for 2021, you know, spiritually, how will I live this out? What will this mean to me? How is he asking me to feed 15,000 people with, you know, the amount of food I can hold in a bag? Um, what does that look like for me in my personal life, in my personal transformation, in my, you know, family relationships, and mission of the church. What does that look like for us? Um, and cause I think it's so easy to look at the world and think, you know, people aren't going to go to church anymore and people don't believe that and people believe these crazy things and blah, 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 blah. When, um, that might just reveal the true spiritual state they've been in all along. And then Jesus is going to ask us, you go mm-hmm. impact. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You go impact the world. We're like, I can't do, you know, and that's right. So then we go through the motions of it and he inhabits it. Um, and the world is impacted. Um, so that's kind of, that's my thought um, here at the end of 2020 and jumping into 2021 is um, we are called to, to, to impossible things. And, and there is something essential about our faith that we should embrace. So let's embrace that. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.